funny geographically. On June 21st, I recorded a conversation with Jacob Shapiro at Phantom Comics in Washington, D.C. At the time, he was the manager and co-owner of their DuPont Circle location. Since then, Jake has moved to New York City to work at the Strand Bookstore. Currently, I am editing this episode and recording this intro in Memphis, Tennessee. So while the conversation you're about to listen to is a really interesting discussion of how a local comic store functions in a city like D.C., the participants of the conversation are currently outside of the city in question. All this being said, I love Phantom Comics in D.C. This is the place where I get my comics regularly, and while I miss Jake already, I'm really very happy for him and his new location. And now, Paper Cuts. Hey, this is Jake. We're at Phantom Comics in Dune Circle, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. Christopher Cardambicus, and you're listening to Paper Cuts. Today I'm at Phantom Comics in Washington, D.C. with Jake Shapiro, who is the co-owner and manager of the store. Um, I'm really excited because Phantom Comics is one of the first places I came to in D.C. when I was looking for where I can get my regular comics fix, and I was immediately impressed by how open and warm the store was. This is where I found the first comics by uh, Kendra and Kat and Anna Selheim, who are two... Uh, artists, or a artist and a group of artists that have since become regular friends of Paper Cuts. Um, Phantom is also really active within the community, hosting reading groups, uh, creator Q&As, and a drink and draw happy hour. That's still happening, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we try to do a lot of events because in 2018, the only thing that we as a brick and mortar shop have over the internet is the community part of it. Um, you know, most things we sell, people can get on Amazon. So, you know, that's really the only thing that gets people coming in is that uh, sentimental connection, you know. And once people are emotionally invested in us, then they'll open their wallets, too. <laughs> um, also, D.C. can feel like a very art-unfriendly city, so we want to show people that, you know, hey, you can be in D.C. and still do art. You don't have to move out to the suburbs or move out move up to New York or something. Like, you can be in D.C. and do this stuff. So we also try to be a beacon for local artists. And just the local community in general, not just the art scene, but also, I mean, D.C. as a as a community as a whole. Yeah, and that's – so I want to talk about, like, your situation within D.C. and the cultural center that, that exists here. But also um, I wanted to hear a little bit about the Phantom Comics origin story. Like, how did this start up here? Um, when did you get involved with Phantom? Were you one of the co-creators of it? So Phantom predates me. Phantom began in 2005 up in Tenleytown near American University. Um, and it just opened up as a, the the two owners that are still, uh, the still the two majority owners, they, they're kind of hands off at this point, but they still are the owners and they still check in every now and then. Um, I think they just saw a gap in the market. There, you know, there weren't enough comic shops in D.C. for the number of nerdy people there are here with disposable income. And uh, yeah, so they started up in Tenleytown in 2005. And then moved across town into Union Station in about 2008. And then in 2014, I, I started working at the shop while we were in Union Station. 
And then that same summer of 2014 that I began, we moved across town to our current location at DuPont Circle. And yeah, that's really where we began what we were, what we are now. Um, I would say my immediate predecessor, Esther Kim, she's really the one who, she started a couple years before me, and she's really the one that turned it into what it is now as far as turning it into a queer, feminist, open, friendly space. Um, I think that she saw that this place, it's a, there's valuable you know, room for people that are not straight, cis, white dudes to come geek out talk about comics. And also just people who, who are new to comics or people who are kind of scared off by the very gatekeepery vibe that not just comic shops but small businesses in general tend to have yeah i know whenever i go get my bike fixed i always feel a little intimidated that that they think i don't know enough about gear shifts or whatever um so yeah i think brick and mortar small businesses have that problem specialty niche stores in in particular and then the comic scene very specifically has has that and then in the last you know five years or so has had very public weird toxic community stuff um and a lot of our current weird alt-right dudes i think a lot of that comes from go you can take that all the way back to gamergate a few years back and you know comics and games are very tied into each other anyway sorry that's all that's off on a kind of a negative sad tangent but yeah um esther saw that there was a space to turn this into something more positive um she hired me a couple years after she started here and then now she's gone off to work for a comics publisher in portland oregon and she handed off the store to me and uh yeah i mean once we moved from union, union station was great but we were in a tiny little spot that was maybe a quarter of the size of here yeah um, and once we moved across town to dupont circle um we have more space to do more events also union station is the kind of place that you know we a lot of tourists and commuters go through there but there's not a lot of just like regular people doing their regular daily lives in there yeah. um whereas dupont you know there's a lot of people who work around here a lot of bars around here not a lot of nightlife around here and people that work at, that uh, live in this general area so there's a, a lot more, I don't know, a lot more vibrancy to the community here. And yeah, so this is the perfect space for us to start doing what we need to do. Yeah, can you describe the space a little bit for the listeners? Because right now we're on the second floor of a building and we're sitting on kind of like a stage area within the comic store. So yeah. how are you organizing this? Uh, so this we're on the second floor of a building that also features a Subway sandwich shop and a taco <laughs> place uh, beneath us. And... We're, I mean, I guess it's the second floor. It's a two, it's a two-story little old building. I'm not exactly sure what, I mean, this must be early 20th century that this building dates back to. I'm not sure what it was uh, to begin with. I know it was a record store for a long time before it was, our current space was a, was a record store called DJ Hut uh, cool. before it was us. So not only was it a record store, but it was specifically for DJs. Um, and they went out of business, I think, in 2008. So I'm always happy that we can at least continue that tradition of being a creative space here, even if we're not a record store. Um, and yeah, our space, we've got a a kid section up in the front and you go back and we've have kind of a, there's kind of two main sections to the store with a bottleneck in the middle. Um, and then the bottom section of the store is, has the bulk of our new comics and our graphic novels. We have the register, uh, on a counter, on a counter space in the middle of the store. And, uh, yeah, we've got windows facing the street. We actually just uh, the Pride Parade, which was two weekends ago, uh, comes right down P Street, right outside our shop, and we have a big watch party here where people open up the windows and watch because it's on the street right outside on the from the second floor here. Yeah, I think, again, getting to the idea of working with a larger community in D.C., being able to have the Pride Parade watch party, and you'd had the Black Panther uh, fashion show. You have a series of, of book readings. I just saw that there's the, the Queer Book Club that's happening. Is it later this week or Yeah, next that's week? on Sunday. Yeah. 
Um, so how does that function in here just physically? Like where, where are people located? What are their conversations like? What's, what's going on? Um, as, as far how as can how people get involved? As far as how the book clubs go yeah. uh, in particular. So we do a lot of book clubs, a lot of workshops. Uh, we do geek trivia night. Um, and really it's just what, you know, what the employees care about uh, and what the, what the people that are close to the store care about. I mean, there's a whole gaggle of people who come and hang out around the shop, whether it's our friends or just people who work in the area or people who just drive with us and appreciate our vibe. I think in a lot of ways we see ourselves as one of those, I don't know, what's it called, a third space, you know, where people yeah. think of, you know, you have your, your house and you have your work, and then where do you have your third space that you go and hang out? And for a lot of people, that's a bar. And so I guess in a way we're sort of an alternative to a bar. Although we just got our tavern license uh, a few months back, so we, we do do events with booze every now and then. I wouldn't go so far as to call us a bar, but we'll do events where, you know, we'll, we'll have a Dungeons and Dragons night where we'll serve beer at it, and that's how we're able to make money off the event. Yeah. Which is nice because it means that events that we maybe couldn't monetize otherwise were suddenly able to make financially viable through that. Was that a really difficult process to get the tavern license? Yeah, it was a years-long process and a lot of money. We were doing events with booze before that, but every time we wanted to do an event, we had to reapply for a temporary liquor license. And that's uh, that adds up to a lot of money and a lot of pa paperwork, and it meant that we had to know that we were going to do the event like three weeks in advance. Oh, yeah. Whereas now we're able to do something on a whim if we want to, you know, maybe... You know, maybe because normally, you know, before it was what I think it cost about one hundred and thirty dollars to have a temporary liquor license for one night. Right. So we had to make sure that we were going to make one hundred and thirty dollars off of, of profit off of the alcohol to make it worth it. But now, you know, even if we're going to do an event where we'll sell five beers, that's still good enough for us. Um, yeah. And we're able to throw stuff together at the last minute that we wouldn't have done otherwise. And uh, yeah, I mean, book clubs, they're I mean, they're you know, coming to a book club is kind of nerdy, uh, but it's I think we're in a world where. You know, if you want to talk about the latest episode of Game of Thrones with your friends, like everyone's posting on Facebook about that. But if you want to talk about the newest issue of Saga with your friends, there's not nearly as much of a space to talk to people about that. And so we do our book clubs because it's a space for people to come and talk about comics in you know more in depth rather than just this is good or this is bad or I'm excited about this. Yeah, that's one of the things I was so excited about because I, I do find that whenever I want to have a buddy to talk about comics with, it has to be someone that I'm like actively purchasing that comic book with yeah. specifically, you know, and then that's just one other person. Yeah. Um, yeah. See you, Kevin. Yeah. Um, so yeah. what are some of the book clubs that you have going on now? Uh, so on Sunday, we've got our, uh, we've got our queer book club coming up. The queer book club is probably the, the most popular book club that we've got had. We've had it going for, I, I mean, maybe four years. I mean, probably, I think as long as I've been working at the store, we've been doing a queer book club. We do it about once a month. And we try to we try to do a mixture of different types of LGBT uh, representation mm -hmm. and switching between books that have a, that put a focus on queer characters and then some books where it's just the you know some of the characters happen to be queer but that's not the focus of the story um, and try to you know and books that like maybe there's not even that much queer content in the story but it's created by uh, queer authors. Um, we yeah we get a ton of people out for that because there's a few local kind of. Uh, gay geek groups that we team up with that are you know networking uh the people uh geeks out which is the organization that puts out flamecon mm -hmm. flamecon's probably the biggest kind of lgbtqia comic-con uh going on right now and a lot yeah. of those people who are involved in that are locals here and come come to those that's, that's really cool we've got uh comics and spirituality book club coming up that one is newer we've only been doing that for maybe four or five months i really like it it's a, a local pastor that expressed interest in it which 
seems like, seems like not our jam because you know we're all super hippie you know bleeding heart liberal hipsters uh but he's he's very progressive and the idea is to look at look at comics from a spiritual perspective and a faith perspective uh not specific to any one religion but just from looking yeah. at it from different religions and and faith backgrounds it's pretty interesting like our our uh, upcoming comics and spirituality book club is for the flintstones of all comics yeah, you I wouldn't have thought it you wouldn't have thought it but the dc comics put out a flintstones book uh last year that's surprisingly depressing and meaningful um yeah. it reminds me a little bit of that john goodman live action flintstones movie <laughs> but it deals with a lot of concepts of like how come in this prehistoric world where civilization doesn't exist yet that the two main characters are in this monogamous marriage when like the concept of marriage doesn't exist in caveman times and then how do people come up with ideas of religion um so yeah, uh, you know some of the ones we've done for that book club have been a little bit uh, more traditional, like we did Daredevil: Born Again. Um, but we, you know, we try to we we try to mix it up and do some ones that you wouldn't expect. Yeah. So some of them are like the queer book club is mostly the employees at the store figuring that out, and some of them like the spirituality book club. A lot of those will be dictated by just like this guy that helps organize it. It's just ones that you know he'll be the one to lead the book club every time, and so you know, and he we don't pay him or anything. He's just a part of our community, and he really cares about doing a thing um we have a black excellence book club that's pretty big that we do regularly we um then we have a few other book clubs that are just for the the most popular books like saga and the wiccan and the divine where every time a new volume comes out we'll just have a book club for the newest volume of it that's really nice because usually we can only do book clubs for book one or volume one of something but it's nice to do you know saga we'll do a book club for volume eight um and how many other series i mean how many other book series can you imagine that people do book clubs for book eight of the series um not just book clubs but also You've had like Skype. I should be talking to the microphone. This is not my first episode. <laughs> um, you've had like uh, Skype talks with authors too. Whenever new volumes have come out, I was here with a Kieran Gillen uh, chat whenever the one of the newer Wicked and the Divine yeah. came out. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, we try to do those a lot because even the most famous comic book people are just regular people. They're not actually famous. No one recognizes them in the grocery store, so yeah. they're all very accessible on social media. So we do a lot of book clubs where we'll Skype in with the writers or the artists, and yeah, that adds a whole other dimension to it, and it's really nice. And sometimes we're able to get them physically in the store, but a lot of times we're able to just Skype in with them. Um, we have another one of those coming up July 1st uh, with Farrell Dalrymple, who's one of my personal favorite artists. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, uh, we, and we, we try to engage the creators a lot. Also, we're pretty big with our social media presence, and we try to engage the creators a lot, just because we know that the comics world is pretty small, and everyone knows everyone, and no one's making a lot of money. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all we can do to lift other people up is the best we can do. And I really like how you're engaging uh, creators at different levels, right? So, like, yeah, you can have someone who's writing for Image Comics or Marvel Comics Skype in with you, um, but you also hold events for, like, indie comics creators and local creators. Like, I walked in during, uh, a, right before a Hazel Noob event, event um, and you have a large section in the comic that, or in the comic store that's dedicated just to zines and mini comics and DIY comics. Uh, so, how do people find you, or how do you connect with people that are doing things outside of like the Diamond Previews catalog? Um, all the self-published local stuff is—it's just stuff that a lot of it is local artists who have come to us and be like, "Hey, I have a thing. Can you come look at my thing?" And we do try to buy a certain number of comics off local people who just walk in. A lot of it is just our friends, people we like, or you know, self-published creators that we just really admire. We reach out to, uh, but we try to. I mean, as you said, we try to re reach a wide variety of creators. We try not to have it all be super indie zine people because we feel like 
The indie comic scene can also be really clicky and standoffish and gatekeepery in its own ways. Yeah. So we try to bridge the gap between people that are reading Marvel DC books and people that are reading, you know, drawn and quarterly fancy graphics books and people that are reading just self-published zines. We try to, you know, you know, if if the Avengers movie is what got you into comics, I'm not going to judge you for that. Like, that's cool. Yeah. It's great that you're reading comics. And maybe down the line, I'll get you to read my pretentious indie comic that I want you to read. <laughs> but you know what? There's fun superhero comics being made, too. And we don't want to shame anyone for that. And I feel like a lot of indie comics have that problem. When people are coming in from the street, and let's say it's their first time in the comic shop, what do you do to try to gauge their interests, or what do you try to suggest? Uh, you know, it, ta it takes a gentle hand and a and a a, a, a tender touch. Uh, it's it can change a lot from person to person. I think that's just basic retail. People come in, and you can kind of get the vibe from them. You know, we ever everyone who walks in, we greet them, ask if they're looking for anything in particular, and. Yeah, I mean, it's usually pretty easy to tell what someone's looking for. Hold on, I'm taking it. I'm giving you a call here. Um, I'm going to call back in a bit. Uh, yeah, sorry about that. No um, yeah, it's. I think it's easy to tell what someone's looking for, if it, whether it's a family or if it's uh, you know, a teenager getting into their first comics. I think that really people want you to tell them what they like. Uh, comics are overwhelming. There's way too many comics being published for what the market can feasibly sustain. Yeah. Uh, and people don't want you to just list like if you you know if you like this you may like this because Amazon already does those with their recommendations. I think what they like in this world of overwhelming comics and you know it's really hard to navigate is they want us the employees to be able to curate that for them. And based on things that they're into, you know I don't I don't think a customer wants me to say choose A, B, or C. Which interests appeal more to you? They want me to be like oh I get your vibe. You are gonna really like this. And I think yeah. if I just if I put something in their hands and this is what I think you'd like and I'm passionate about it, they're smart. Customers are smart. They can tell if you're selling something just because you're supposed to sell it versus selling something because you're passionate about it. And the things that we're passionate about always are the things that sell the best. Yeah. Um, so that I, that's the role we can fill. And that's I think that's our job security in a way is how overwhelming comics are. And we're able to find the, the diamonds in the rough for them. Uh, and it's also, you know, when families come in, that's always tough because you're selling to the kids, but you're also selling to the parents. Um, and then... Maybe the most difficult one is like 13, 14 year old kids where that's where you're right on the level where definitely all the comics and, and movies and books that made an impact on me at that age were all ones that I probably wasn't supposed to read at that point. Like, yeah. you know, that's when you first start, you know, that's when you see, start seeing your first R-rated movies, but you're definitely not supposed to see it. And there's this weird question of as the, as the adult authority figure, you know, you kind of do want those people to be exposed to really good art that, you know, maybe expands their horizons but you don't want to get in trouble for selling kids really violent, explicit comics. So I don't know. That's always a fine balance. Uh, and sometimes you come in and the, and the parents of these teenagers are super cool with it. Um, and they, you know, they're totally okay with their 14 year old reading the walking dead. Um, and then sometimes you'll get where, you know, there's, you know, where there's like a gay kid who, visiting from Indiana um, with conservative parents and, you know, on the low, you really want this kid to pick up all these gay comics. Yeah. Um, so that's always, I don't even, I don't even know if I have a really good answer for what the right thing to do is in those situations. Um, we, you know, I hope that verbally or non-verbally we can inch those people in the right direction. And that at least us just by being ourselves and by showing the comics that we have for sale here, we can show people that, you know, hey, there's more out here than just dudes punching each other in tights. Yeah, so like, how do you approach the curation of this store? Because you do have like the superhero comics, but one of the great things is the large uh, selection of different genre comics and just the 
how different it feels to walk in here versus like uh, a comic store that is so deeply entrenched in just Marvel and DC comics. I think a big thing we do is have the comics facing out, like with the cover facing forward in the graphic novel section. Yeah. I feel like we're in an era where, you know, our money's probably 50-50 between selling single issues and selling graphic novels, trade paperbacks. Uh, but there's so many comic shops you go into and all the trade paperbacks are all the collected editions. They're all with a spine out so you can't see the covers for anything. Damn. And for us, maybe it means that we can't carry quite as many titles because it takes up more space to have them facing out. But having them face out is just a basic, easy book selling thing that makes the the books it makes the books look more appealing and it makes it easier for people to just pick pick stuff up randomly. If you're looking at, at things that are just that are just the spines, it's a lot harder to to pick something out. Um, and we want people to browse and pick up something they've never heard of before. Uh, superhero comics are a weird thing because it, it's based. You know, if you want to read Batman, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of Batman books, including you know there's like you know currently you know go being published concurrently right now, there's got to be maybe six different Batman comics. Yeah. Um, so how do you get into that? And a lot of people who are reading superhero comics are follow it because they're following the characters they like or they're following the continuity they like. Whereas for non-superhero comics, it's a lot more driven by creators and artists that people like a lot. Um, I don't know. We try to, I mean, we, we, I mean, we definitely do, we still do carry a ton of those superhero comics. Um, but, we, you know, it's always a fine balance of we want to carry the newest books and we want to carry classics and we want to carry ones that we care about a lot. And we're always going to have to phase stuff out and stop carrying some things because we just don't have the shelf space to carry every comic. You know, every every week new stuff's coming out and it means we have to phase some stuff out. Um, but, I mean, as far as expanding people's horizons on comics go, I think a lot of... I think everyone would like comics if they knew that there were more comics being put out than just superheroes. Yeah. You know, whether you're into slice of life you know shoegazy stuff when it comes to your, your your movies or your music there's comics for that too people just don't realize it yet because they think that they think that comics are a certain thing and i think we need to we do our best to try to show people that no there are comics out there for whatever you're into yeah. definitely the heaviest things lean towards genre you know the non-superhero stuff that that's the biggest are definitely science fiction and crime noir just yeah. because a lot of non-superhero comics have the roots in that kind of pulp comic, kind of her like nerdy heritage. Uh, but there, you know, but there's more stuff than ever coming out in a wide variety of genres, and there's more Japanese comics that coming out in English now in a wider variety of genres with higher quality. Um, I don't know. Just want to show people that no matter what you're into, there's comics of it. I guess that leads into another question of, you know, being here working in the store and, and being responsible for the orders and seeing what people are are grabbing. Uh, what are some trends you have noticed in the industry through the store. And I guess part of why I'm asking is that I also feel like I'm constantly hearing speculation about comics being in crisis or something or stores closing and publishers like not knowing what to do with with their with their markets really. Comics are always a tough business. The profit margins are razor thin on it and a lot of people who get into running a comic shop do it because they love comics and not because they're good at business. Yeah. So I think that's why you see comic shops closing all the time. And comics can be mismanaged a lot. I mean, a lot of times small comic shops will hedge their bets on a certain publisher and then, you know, and then they'll they'll screw up. Between Marvel and DC, I think, you know, every every few years they'll switch between which one's doing better and which one's stagnating. You know, I think three years ago Marvel was on top of the world. They were putting out, you know, Miss Marvel. They were putting out Squirrel Girl. They were putting out all these really cool comics featuring a diverse cast of characters created by a diverse set of people. 
Um, but then we got the backlash against that, and then they canceled all those books. I mean, Miss Marvel and Sword Girl are still going, but yeah. they've uh, they downplayed a lot of those books. And now and Marvel seems to have shot themselves in the foot. Now they're struggling, and DC's kind of on the come up now. Um, so there, I mean, there's always going to be ebbs and flows to the industry. As far as big trends in the industry right now, I think moving away from single issues and towards graphic novels is the big thing that's happening. Because even a decade ago, you wouldn't see every comic collected in a in a paperback. Uh, but now, pretty much every book put out by a major American publisher gets collected in a in a paperback volume afterwards, and that makes it a lot easier to buy at a regular bookstore or carry in a library. Um, it's a lot more accessible to a lot of people. I think people were worried that ebooks and digital comics were going to replace f physical print comics a lot sooner than they have, and they really haven't. I mean, yeah. even with book books, like ebooks haven't replaced novels for people. I think they kind of plateaued in usage, and they haven't. They haven't re replaced the print media in the same way that digital music has totally overtaken physical music media. Um, yeah, I think there's still something about the physicality of, of actual book reading. Like, yeah. anecdotally, I know that uh, the digital comic books that I've read. Yeah, I I just, me, hold on, give me one second. Oh, yeah, sorry. sorry. Uh, did someone come back to return yeah. those? Yeah, because we accidentally got them. Thank we special ordered them in, for, in Spanish for someone a long time ago, and then they never came in to pick them up. Yeah. And I think we put them back out on the rack without realizing that it's the Spanish editions of them. Um, so, yeah. We, um, yeah, I think we might have Volume 1 and 2 in English in the boxes that we're processing right now. Um, in the meantime... Uh, anyway, the, the uh, guy's right here that got them, right? Yeah, um... If you, if you wouldn't mind, I'm happy to, like, as soon as the other ones order in, we'll, we'll, e we'll shoot them an email, email them to you, and, I mean, they'll be free of charge to you because you already got those ones. So, yeah, I'm sorry about that. We might we might have them by the end of the day today if they're in the boxes that we're processing right now. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're open every day. Yeah, um, also, can you, uh, can you give Aspen your, our, your contact info? I'm not sure if we have your info right now. Okay, thanks. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, so I, what I was saying is that my anecdotally, I know that the comic books that I've read digitally first just don't stick in my brain. Like, they just depart really quickly. Yeah. But there's comics that I read physically once, and I can remember, like, full pages or specific panels. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'm not worried about comics going away physically. But um, I feel like you and I both have done this thing where we've talked or like gone back to the idea of superhero comics as a major thing in the industry, but uh, they're also like kind of the least interesting comics around. So I don't know, like what what got you into comics and what got or what keeps you interested in comic books? Like, what are your what are the things you're reading now? So I didn't grow up reading a ton of like you know comic book store comics the big stuff that i read growing up was i've loved calvin and hobbs and i read a lot of other newspaper strip comics but calvin and hobbs was my big one i loved it so much growing up i didn't really get into comic comics um until really it was like i i uh i, I went to college for film graduated from school didn't know what i was doing with my life i followed my ex to kansas city a city that neither of us are from or have any connection to um where i ran this little art house movie theater and someone had left a bunch of comic books behind the counter at the box office there. And it was a little theater with three auditoriums. Once movies were going in all three auditoriums, I didn't have anything to do until the movies had got out. So I would just sit there reading a bunch of comics and fashion magazines also. There were a bunch of Cosmos and stuff. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those books were not even really like my favorite comics. It was a lot of like old Vertigo things that are not really my jam. 
but I, but it, it was just a wake up call that like, oh, this is a medium that exists and is a thing and I should get into this. And I went to my local comic shop in Kansas City and it was bad. It was like your generic like old man comic shop. Uh, and actually the guy who owns that shop recently got killed by an angry customer. Um, okay. That's a tangent. Um, and <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Clint's comic shop on Main Street in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, but yeah, the Clint from Clint's comic shop was killed like maybe two years ago by an angry customer. Whoa. Um, but yeah, uh, it was a bad experience in the shop, but it's still, I don't know. I think I have sort of an addictive personality. It's hard for me to be a casual fan of anything. Like anything I get into, I get really into it. So I didn't even have a person to get me into it. It was like I was living in a city where I didn't know anyone. My relationship was falling apart. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And I just sort of sent myself down this rabbit hole. I just Googled like best, you know, best rated comics of this year and just went through the top 10 list and like ironic now ordered on Amazon a bunch of the <laughs> trades of all these of all these, you know, most critically acclaimed comics um, ordered on Amazon because my local shop was not good. Um and I went through and just read and read and read a ton of them. And actually, I mean, social media was a big part of getting me into comics. I think realizing that most comic creators are regular people and they're very accessible was a huge, it was really cool. It's cool that you could get on Tumblr and follow these artists on Tumblr and then they would post, you know, their work in progress. And then they would reblog other artists that they liked that you're like, oh, I like this person. This person they're reblogging is super cool. I guess I'll follow them too. Um, seeing how intertwined everything is and how... I don't know how much of a dialogue there is going on in comics at all times was really, was very cool for me. And then after living in Kansas city for two years, relationship was falling apart in Kansas city. It's a cool city, but it's not where I could see myself spending the rest of my life. So I moved back home to DC and running, having run a little art house movie theater in Kansas city translated to me running a little comic shop here in DC. Yeah. And yeah, then I did, I uh, got the job here in 2014 and I've been doing that for four years now. So yeah. So what else, like what's uh, coming up next for Phantom? What do you have on the the big chalkboard calendar? Um, what are you excited about? So I get like the next big event happening for us. Uh, I guess so. In July we've got July fourth is a big superhero day because uh, Tana Hesse Coates is going to be writing Captain America with the first issue out July fourth. That's going to be huge. And then the end of July is DC Zine Fest, which I always love every year. It's uh, it's uh, you know the two big comic shows that we really like there's small press expo every september that's out in north bethesda maryland which is a little far out in the suburbs but it's you know one of the most one of the most popular uh independent comic shows in north america people come from all over for it it's a good time uh and then dc zine fest which is a much smaller but it focuses on zines and a lot of our local art scene as far as comics goes is very intertwined with the zine culture because dc you know, is not a very art-friendly city, but DC has a long heritage of the punk scene, yeah. and a lot of the punk scene overlaps with the zine culture, and so a lot of our comics culture overlaps with that zine culture, and it's a pretty cool uh, little historical connection we have to the old DC punk scene, um, and a lot of the venues that DC that Zine Fest has been at have been old uh, DC punk venues, and so that's coming out the end of July, and that's going to be huge. I'm not sure if we're going to be running a table yet there or not, but a, a lot of our community is going to be there, yeah. um, and I think you know, blurring the lines between comics and zines is always a good thing for indie comics because comics can be whatever you want them to be. They don't have to be one thing or another. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what's so exciting about those spaces. Yeah, um, I really like it. And also because Small Press Expo is out in Maryland, it's like nice to have something really cool that's in D.C. I mean, there's also, there's Awesome Con, which is the big, big mainstream comic show in D.C., but that's really focused more on 
famous TV show people and stuff, and it's not really about comics, although there is a, an artist alley. So DC Zine Fest is definitely my favorite comics thing in the district every year. Yeah. Um, so that's coming up soon. And yeah, I think that, I mean, that's really the next big thing on the horizon. With your interest in film, have you uh, wanted at any point to be creating your own comics? I've thought about it, but I've realized I'm a lot better at selling other people's comics than I am at making my own comics. Um, and, you know, the more I'm in comics, the more I, I don't know, I, I value the comics that are written and drawn by one person a lot. I, you know, there's a lot of artists where I'll read a comic because they're the artist. There's very few co comics where I'll read it because of the writer. Um, you know, because a writer can be writing five things at once. An artist really has to commit to one comic at once. And so I end up putting a lot more stock in the artists and the writers. Yeah. If the story is mediocre, but the art is amazing, I'll love it. If the, if the story is amazing, but the art is mediocre, I can't do it. Um, and it's hard because it's funny because still a lot of the most popular people in the comics industry are all writers, you know. Your Grant Morrison's, your Alan Moore's, your... Uh, Neil Gaiman's, they're all writers. Uh, but to me, the heart and soul of comics is the art itself, not the writing. Um, yeah, it's a visual medium. Yeah, so I I find myself more and more drawn to just artists. So then myself, as someone who's not really a good artist, the only thing I could do would be a writer, and I, I'm, I'm like, I don't I don't know. I, I don't know if I would read my own comics, so... Yeah. I don't know. I, I put my efforts into selling comics, and I, I do a decent amount of writing about comics and analysis and stuff, because um the co the comics world doesn't have enough really good like critical analytical academic work going into it so i i try to do a little of that when i can also when it comes to analyzing comics so much of talking about comics borrows from film language when they you know when they they talk about you know they'll like you know they'll talk about it the same way people talk about cinematography which is great because i love movies yeah. but it's a bummer that comics doesn't have more of its own language to talk about the medium um because definitely there's some comics that, you know, there's some overlap and movies come from storyboards, but they're not the same medium. And there's things that comics can do that film and TV can't do. And so, I don't know, I would love to establish more language for just specifically comics. When you're writing your analysis and really talking about comics and trying to build up your own language for it, what's your outlet for that? Like, where can, where can we read it? Um, I don't have a good single outlet. I've done, I've, I've written every now and then good stuff for, uh, I... I've written a good amount of stuff for uh, the comics beat, which is Heidi McDonald. Uh, it's her. Uh, she's been she's been a comics journalist for a few decades, and she's one of the last like big comics journalists left. Um, and she's a good friend of mine, and I'm she let me you know uh, contribute stuff when I want. I recently uh, had an article up with the Comics Journal, which oh, is uh, you know a, a more kind of. Uh, I mean, the you know, comics beat is a little more like in, you know, inside baseball industry, and and a little bit more mainstream. Comics Journal is a little more fantagraphics drawn in quarterly ish. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. All over. I I I don't know. I should probably work on having a, a more consistent blog or something myself. But I don't know. My day job is selling comics, so I don't. I don't know. I right now I don't feel the energy to to work on having a portfolio for myself. I just write when I can, and I do a lot of stuff for our own social media and just writing about on our own like fancy comics Tumblr. Uh writing about stuff that I'm excited for. Great. So, yeah. And the uh, last question is, what's in your pull list? Like, what are you what are you reading? Uh, right now, I'm in the middle of reading uh, Farrell Dalrymple's new comic, Proxima Centauri. Uh, Farrell Dalrymple does everything by hand, and it's all really... It's all stuff about kids and anxiety. It's like a bunch of melancholy kids. Uh, as a kid, I just wanted stories about edgy adults, and as an adult, I just want stories about sad kids. Um, that's real good. 
um, uh, Shintaro Kago, who's this uh, Japanese body horror artist, has just had a couple new uh, new books come out. I'm really into that. Um, I've been getting into a lot more weird, obscure Japanese stuff lately. I didn't grow up with a lot of manga, and I'm just really starting to embrace it now as an adult. So, yeah. I read Proxima Centauri pretty quickly after I left the shop last week and really loved it. And now that you're getting an influx of customers in, I should probably let you go so you can tend to them, and then I can all my weekly yeah uh, weekly collection. Oh, sweet. But yeah, Jake, thanks so much for taking the time to yeah. with me in the store. Yeah, thank you so much for interviewing me.